0: Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, please open it to Acts chapter 19 as we uh, look at uh, God's Word this morning. One of the things that we do... every week, every week when uh, I, I preach, is give away a great book that is going to help you as a Christian. Uh, I don't know how many times I've given this book away. It is a fantastic book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. And if you're kind of a, a person who goes, I'd like to get more out of my Bible reading or I don't know where to start or anything, this is a perfect book for you. It's very easy to read. Almost a million copies have sold, which is Actually, a really significant number for a Christian book. So it's a great book. I'm going to put it down there. First one to get it. Um, that'll be great. Make sure there's not a riot. I can get other copies if, if you want it. Um, I'm going to pray as we uh, jump in and look at God's word this morning. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we uh, look at your word this morning, that you would speak to us wherever we're at. For those of us who follow you, we pray that we would be encouraged, rebuked and corrected. Lord, we pray for those of us who are figuring out where they're at with you. We pray that you would speak to us, give us a great picture of who you are and what we're meant to be or who we're meant to be in response. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just the other day, I was having a day off and I went into the city and I was just kind of meandering around the city. I didn't have anything to do. I was just walking around. And then uh, I came across something that was uh, quite interesting to me. Uh, I saw this old church with a big for sale sign out the front. And, and it got me thinking about churches which have, had, which have been sold and are now used for other things. And it got me thinking of a number. Here's one in Newtown, on Australia Street in Newtown, just around the corner from where I was uh, pastoring a church in Newtown only a few years ago. This is, this is a church built in 1955. At its peak, it had hundreds of kids coming to it, many people coming to it. And just a few years ago, it was sold for over $2 million. And now the people that have it, uh, they're setting up a Buddhist temple. I'll give you another one. There's the next one. This is in Regent Street in uh, Redfern. And just last year, I think, it was sold for over $3 million. Once again, uh, I, I remember seeing photos of, 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 this, of this church. I've been inside it, and, and, and people showed me the photos of what happened in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And, and they used to get buses, buses of kids coming in to tell them about Jesus. And then the congregation dwindled so much that they sold it and relocated. Last one this is on Cleveland Street. This is called the Kirk. It was a, a very prominent church in the area. It, it ran great, uh, great ministry to the poor in the area. And I think about 15 years ago, it was sold to Madame Lash, a, a woman who uh, has basically converted it into this kind of alternative art space. When when, when you have a look, and you can take that photo down, thanks, mate. Uh, When you you have a look at those churches and you hear of the stories or or you drive past a church that has obviously been repurposed, what do you think? What do you feel? I think it's a tragedy that here is a place where at one point in time, many people were hearing about Jesus, Many people were were coming to know Jesus and be built up in him. Many people, many kids were coming. And something happened. Or a bunch of things happened. And now there's no church there. And and then I think with a little bit of fear about us. I I mean, this year has been good for us as a church. We we are growing numerically and and spiritually in in a bunch of ways. And yet, in 50 years' time, are we going to be still going strong? Is MCC still going to be going strong? Or are we going to be just sold out to a property developer who's going to make a quick buck or maybe flatten everything on this block and build apartment buildings? What's going to happen The the reason I ask this question is because we can't just be thinking about now. We've got to be thinking about the future. Because today we're going to look at a church, the Ephesian church. The, The Ephesian church has more about it written about it in the Bible than any other church. And yet, only a few years after the book of Revelation, the last book that was written in the Bible, the Ephesian church was no more. Today we're going to see the rise and the fall of the Ephesian church. And we're going to think really hard about us and what we contribute to MCC so that in 50, 100 years' time our our grandkids, our great-grandkids can be still here worshipping the Lord Jesus, reading from his word and be passionately serving him. I want that for my grandkids and my great-grandkids. I wonder if that's what you want for your kids and your great-grandkids and grandkids. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see the start of the Ephesian church, the leadership of the Ephesian church, and the fall of the Ephesian church. The start, the leadership, and the fall of the Ephesian church. We've been going through the book of Acts, and and, and we've seen the early church only a few years after the Lord Jesus died, rose again, went back to heaven, and here we see Paul in Ephesus at the start of the Ephesian church. So let's have a look at verse 1. While Paul was in Corinth, sorry, while Apollos was was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Here are a bunch of people who I dare say are more like Old Testament Christians. They are still kind of waiting for the Lord Jesus. They've received John's baptism, which was meant to prepare them for the Lord Jesus. And yet... It seems like they haven't heard of the Lord Jesus. And that's why Paul does what he does. Verse 4. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. So here what you see is they hear about Jesus. They put their trust in him. And then what happens? Well, they're baptized, which signifies that they've come from death to life. And the Holy Spirit comes down on them. And and here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit breaks new ground in the book of Acts, it always comes with signs, whether it be speaking in tongues or prophesy. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit here has broken new ground in Ephesus. And there is signs to go along with that. But actually, the start of the Ephesian church actually gets better. Have a look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amazing reach, isn't it? For two years, Paul is speaking at the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. Can you imagine what that, what that would have been like to hear Paul in the flesh for two years? If Paul was the pastor of MCC, wouldn't that be amazing, right? And that's what's happening here as he is starting this church, and, it's, and it go, the gospel goes out so well that the whole surrounding region hears about the gospel. And God is doing amazing things. And we see in verse 11 uh, these amazing things. Have a look. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And the evil spirits left there. I mean, imagine a dirty apron that Paul is using. You take it to your friend who's got COVID and something happens, they touch it and they're free of COVID. That would be amazing, right? That's what's happening here. And then you've got this weird kind of story about, you know, these seven sons of skever and this demon-possessed guy beats up a bunch of people. And why is it there, Right? Well, 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 it's there because there was a bunch of exorcists who were trying to use the name of the Lord Jesus, but they didn't have trust in him. And I I think one of the things that we should ask is, is, are these guys in Ephesus who have come to know Jesus, are they the real deal? Or, Or are these like these kind of exorcists who are claiming the name of Jesus, but really don't have faith in him? Well, let's have a look and see if they're really legit Christians. Have a look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power." Now, can you see the way that Jesus affected them? They have heard the word of the Lord. They have come to put their faith in Jesus. There's been amazing things happen. And what do they do? Two things. They confess and they repent. They confess and they repent. Are these legit Christians? I don't know about you, but I have uh, uh, seen many people who claim the name of the Lord Jesus and then walk away from him. I, I, I've been been—I've I played guitar in, in, in bands where there's been a speaker and this speaker has uh, known the things to say and there's been some beautiful music played in the background and people come forward sometimes crying and they walk away. And then they actually don't come to church and their conversion was kind of not legitimate. How do you know if someone's really come to know the Lord Jesus? But more importantly, how do you know if you have? How do you know if your faith is legitimate? Well, I think there's two things here. There's confession and repentance. That there's this idea that you see the sin in your life and you don't bottle it up. You don't put put up a facade and go, well, I can't let anyone know because they'll think less of me. No, you confess it. You confess it, but why do you confess? You confess because the Lord Jesus has died for you and the sin that you're talking about or the sin that you're harboring is dishonouring to him. So you are going to confess so that other people can help you with your sin. I, I think one of, the, one of the, the things that we think of when we think of confession is, is a, a Catholic person going to a Catholic priest uh, under the veil of anonymity. That's not what we're talking about here. It is actually bringing your sin out into to a group of or one brother or sister in Christ to say, hey, I really need help with this. When I think of illegitimate confession, I think of speaking at a youth group one time. And I remember speaking at this youth group. I forget what I was speaking on. It was a small youth group. And what was weird about this youth group is it had a bunch of girls in year 11 and 12 and no guys in year 11 and 12 and a bunch of guys, boys in year 7 and 8 with no girls. And so you had... um, girls uh, year 11, 12, guys in year 7, 8. And I, I gave this talk and there was about 12 or 13 uh, kids all up. And uh, we sat in a circle after the talk and people were sharing with each other what they got out of the talk. And one kid, like he's in year 7, uh, really kind of skinny, dweeby, reedy kid. And he was like, oh, I've got to talk about, you know, because of the talk, I, I've got to change in this way. I've got to, I want to confess my sin to you, Right. And uh, I was blown away by that because that took a lot of bravery. And after we finished that time, a bunch of year 11 and 12 girls came up to him, and gave him a big hug and said, that was so brave, that was so amazing, I can't believe you did that." so encouraged. It was interesting, all the other seven and eight boys go, well, I've got sin confessed now, and I, I mean, I punched my dog, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? That's not what we're talking about here. It's not confession so you look better. It is confession because you need help. And can I just say, one of the reasons I think, I'm just going to talk as a bloke, and you, you women can listen in too, right? One of the reasons why blokes don't confess their sin to each other is because we want to look good in other people's eyes. We, we don't talk about how our marriage is going. And be really honest about that because I want, I want you to see that I've got my life together. Confession is hard. Just this week, just this week, I confessed some of my sin to, to Tim and to Howran, to a friend of mine named Donaldo, and I'll be ringing up my mentor, Al, and I'll be talking about my sin. It's not a, bit, a really huge sin, but I, I felt like I needed to talk about it. It was really embarrassing. But I knew I needed to do it. And I, and I don't tell you, I don't tell you that so you go, Oh, hands, aren't you amazing? Uh, I tell you that because some of you guys are going, Yeah, man, it is embarrassing. I, I have got this sin and I do need to talk about it. But you're not doing that. Guys, if you talk with me or Tim or someone here at church and you confess your sin, no one's going to condemn you. We're going to love you and and help you be restored. No matter what your sin is, we're here for you. The the Ephesian Christians not only confessed their sins, but they, they repented. And repentance is hard, especially their repentance. Well, what did they do? They found these scrolls, and and most most of uh, the historians that I read said the scrolls were like this amulet that they would wear around their neck that would ward off bad spirits or something like that. And what did they do? They got them together and they burnt them. They said, we don't believe in that anymore. We believe in the Lord Jesus. That's how much we've changed. But not only that, did you see the financial costs? The total came to 50,000 drachmas. And we don't trade in drachmas anymore, but a drachma was basically a day's wage. 50,000 days wages. How many days will you have to work without a break to get that? 137 years. How much do you earn a year times by 137? That's what we're talking about here. It's a huge amount of money and, and, and you, they didn't have eBay or anything at the time, but that, I'm sure they could have flogged it off and got some money, but no, they didn't want that. They wanted such a clear break that they were going to burn it so that no one else could be led down this path. Repentance. Can, can you imagine how hard that would have been? How hard it seems to basically burn wads of cash right in front of them. And yet, that's exactly what they did. Can I ask you, how's your repentance going? Everyone in this room have got, has got sin that they need to repent of. How's that going for you? Are you working hard at repentance? Repentant, true, true, true repentance is very hard. It's not, it's not just one day you wake up and go, oh, well, I'm going to stop doing this because it's easy. No, repentance is very, very, very hard because you're probably in a pattern of sin. And so to get out of that pattern, you'll need a lot of work. You'll need a community of people around you. That's why confession is so important. You may need to be like me, like there, there was a pattern of sin that's come up in the last few years. I need to go counseling because of it. It was really painful. But, but why, do we, why do we repent? It is because the Lord Jesus has loved us so much that he died for us. So, so that we are so thankful to him for what he's done. We want to have lives that reflect that. And so we're going to confess our sin. We're going to repent of it. The the Ephesian church started really well with with true conversions. They were truly converted because you you see that in response to the Lord Jesus, they confessed and repented of their sin. But a church needs leadership. And so let's have a look at uh, the leadership of the Ephesian church. Flip over to chapter 20 with me. And I just want to show you, first of all, Paul's leadership of them in verse 17 of chapter 20. From my leaders, Paul sent to... Ephesus, for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know, I have how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, and I have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and their faith in the Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Lord, uh, by the Spirit, sorry, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that present hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life nothing to me. My aim is only to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Can you see how sold out Paul is about Jesus? He wants to tell so many people about Jesus and even the Holy Spirit's warning him that he's got hardship. He's walking straight into it because he knows he's got something to do to proclaim the gospel of grace to as many people as he can. can. This is amazing. He is absolutely sold out on the Lord Jesus. But then he turns to the Ephesian elders have a look what he says in verse 25. Now I know that none of you whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any, any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He has been telling them about God. He has proclaimed everything. He's taught them everything. And so what does he say? Well, there's two things. One... Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Did you see what he calls them, overseers? And he implies that they're shepherds. The idea is that the Ephesian elders were like a shepherd and the Ephesian church were a bunch of sheep. And the idea here is that they are meant to watch out. They're meant to make sure that they're cared for. But why? Have a look says this verse 29 i know that after i leave savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock even from among your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them so be on your guard be on your guard military language He doesn't say, hey, man, like there's going to be some wolves, so just be really nice. No, he says be a soldier, be a warrior, because wolves are going to come in. And you're probably going, well, Hans, this is just totally dramatic. This is far too dramatic. He's just being hyperbolic. No, let me tell you a story from our church history, our church. In the early 80s here, right, there was a number of people who decided that they wanted to bring in a certain teaching, a certain church practice here. And it caused a big division with most of the church leaving. And it decimated the church. The, that group that, 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 um, that went out form their own church. A few years ago, when we were planting the 5 p.m. service uh, as kind of an exercise, a training exercise, we did some door knocking in the area. And two streets away, I door knocked on this old man's, uh, old man's front door and I said, I'm from Marsville Community Church. And he started crying. And I said, uh, are you okay? I didn't think you know the church is bad. He goes, I used to go to Marsville Community Church. And I was part of the group, there was a big faction split, I was part of this group. And he said, within six months, this group of people that was just talking all this nonsense, so I left. And I said, well, which church do you go to now? He goes, I don't go to a church anymore. Just a few, like last year, one of the people, another one of those people who were part of that split, who's now got a business, came here and he wanted to park, uh, he's got these refrigerated vans, he wanted to park the vans here. And I was like, oh, well, I guess so." you could send, send the leadership team an email if you want to rent out some spot. He didn't do that. But anyway, we got to talking about um, what happened. And he said that very few of the people who went in that split are still following Jesus today. And he didn't see, see there was a problem. That church is no longer going. See, the thing is, Paul here is not being hyperbolic. He's saying if you are a leader of the church, there are going to be some times that you have to be a soldier. Now, now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you have to be a soldier all the time. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that you, you know, uh, you can't, you've got to be this angry person. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like 99.99% of the time, you've got to be a ni- nice, normal person. But there's going to be some times that the wolf comes in and you're going to have to deal with them. So it's a bit like this. A number of years ago, I, um, I subbed him for, for, a, for a, um, a friend's basketball team. And I got there, and uh, it was just a, a local comp, it wasn't any big deal. And I saw the team up the other end, and they all looked shorter than me. I thought, like, okay, this is going to be fine. And I turned to one of the guys I was playing with. I said, this is going to be great. This is going to be really good. He go, uh, and he said, why? I said, oh, because I just see the other team there, and yeah, it's going to be fine. And he said, oh, no, 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 you're not marking any of them, you're marking him. And there was a guy who was six foot eight, he looked like huge muscles. And he was like playing with his daughter on the sideline. He looked like he could go bear hunting with a twig and come back with seven carcasses, right? That kind of guy. And he said, you're guarding him. And I thought, oh no. The, the ball went up in the air for the tip off we went. He got the ball up the other end and dunked it on me. And that was basically the rest of the game. I was bruised and I was bloody. I was sore. At the end of the game, he he went over to his daughter, picked her up. He was like talking with her about whether going to Macca's or something. He thanked me for the game. He slapped me on my back and really hurt my back. And uh, and he went. And what was beautiful about that guy was when he was around his daughter, he was this loving, kind, gentle dad. When he stepped on the basketball court, he was a monster. And I think what Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders here, and he he would say this to us, you've got to be nice, you've got to be loving, you've got to be gentle, you've got to be careful, you've got to be all that, absolutely. But don't be naive. If you're a leader of the church, sometimes you have to be on your guard, you have to be a warrior. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because in a few minutes' time, we're going to be at the AGM and you and I are going to elect new leaders of this church. And you've got to ask the question if a wolf comes in, will they deal with them correctly and rightly? If you're not sure, don't vote for the person. They could be nice, they could be all this. But Paul would be saying, hey, be on your guard because wolves are going to come. See, the the, the Ephesian church, I actually think probably did a good job of looking out for wolves. Why? Because we actually meet the Ephesian church again at close to the end of the Bible. And let's have actually a look at the fall of the... Ephesian Church. Flip over to, um, excuse me, Revelation chapter one. Sorry, Revelation chapter two. And in Revelation chapter two and three, the Lord Jesus pens some letters, writes some letters through John to seven churches, seven ancient churches. And the first one is our, uh, is this church, uh, the Ephesian Church, the Ephesian Church that Paul started, that, that warned these leaders. And he says a number of things, but, but I want you to see where they're doing well. Have a look. If you've got your Bibles open, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, if you haven't got it, just listen to me. This is Jesus speaking to the Ephesian church. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Do you see? Jesus can see what they're doing. He knows their deeds. He he knows them intimately. And what are they doing so well? Well, they are watching out for wolves. And and Jesus is saying, you can see when someone's not theologically legitimate. And you're just you can cast them away. You're doing a great job there. Well done, Ephesian church. He, he also says, verse 6, but you have this in your, your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans, from what we can gather, were a bunch of people who were early Christians who said, you don't really have to believe what the Bible says. But, but, but not only that, they said, oh, you, you can live, especially sexually, pretty much however you want. And yet the Ephesian church is saying, no, morality and theologically, that's wrong. and We're not going to do that. So theologically and morally, they are legit. They have got it all together. And yet what does Jesus say to them? Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. See, remember, they came to to know the Lord Jesus. They confessed their sins. They repented. Now they they, they are theologically and morally totally straight down the line. They are straighty 180s. And yet they don't love the Lord Jesus. I, I mean, they could go to more college and pass first year without studying. But their heart is not given to the Lord Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Repent. Just as Ephesians church, just as you threw those scrolls into the fire that cost many millions of dollars altogether. You have forgotten your first love. Therefore you should repent and do the things you did at first. And why? If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Isn't it interesting that here Jesus is saying he would rather no church than a church that is morally and theologically legit but doesn't love him. Let me repeat that. Jesus would rather no church than a church that is morally and theologically legit but that doesn't love him. When I look at um, the churches that are being sold, I wonder if that's what happened. I wonder if they got so caught up on being morally right, maybe even theologically right, that they forgot to love Jesus. And can I just say, as Aussie evangelicals, I think this is a huge danger for us. Because we have been taught to really be on guard against false teaching. And that's a good thing. Can I just say, I'm I'm not disparaging that at all. That is a good thing. But we can be so concerned about the theology of others that we're not concerned about the state of our own hearts. We can be so concerned that this person's wrong, this person's right, this person's wrong, whatever, that we've actually stopped loving Jesus. And our heart is cold towards him And we don't even realise that. I think that's especially true of this church, right? Because we hold theology and the Bible in such high esteem. And morality-wise, we're straight down the line. But I wonder how your love of the Lord Jesus is going. I wonder as we were singing those songs this morning, Was there anything that stirred in your heart? I wonder if you read the Bible, maybe a growth group or in your quiet times or whatever, I wonder if you read it and you just go, okay, well, that's what the Bible says. Or or is there something that stirs in your heart that makes you want to confess and repent and change? When you're seeing amazing grace or you think about grace, do you... Do you sometimes just go, "Wow, Jesus died for me"? Are you filled with joy? Uh, are you blown away by what Jesus has done, or has it become old hat? So, see, the thing is, the Ephesian church for them it just became old. Oh, okay, Jesus died for me. He was my substitute. He loves me great. Oh, but that theology over there is wrong or that person over there, morality, is wrong. And Jesus is saying, if that is you, you are in serious danger. You are in serious, serious danger. And you know the sad thing about the Ephesian church? At the very latest, the Ephesian church closed its doors around AD 150. They probably weren't even open for 100 years because Jesus took their lampstand away. They're sobering words for us, aren't they? Because in a hundred years' time, in 50 years' time, will Jesus have taken our lampstand away? Will he have shut us down? Because although we're morally and theologically legit, We've got no love for the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're going, man, hands. I remember a day when I used to love the Lord Jesus passionately, but now I don't know. This is a time when you've got to talk to somebody. And there's periods in my life where that's happened and I've had to talk to people. Because that's what we're here for. We want to care for you in that way. Brothers and sisters, what, 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 we, what we can't be is cold to the love of Jesus. That, that Jesus, who despite your sin, loved you so much that he came down and died for you on the cross, taking your guilt, your shame, your sin away. How could we not be moved by that? How could our hearts not be on fire for him? So let's pray that we would be that. And let's pray that we would not be like the Ephesian church. And that in 50, 100, 200, years, however long Jesus doesn't come back for, the Marsfield Community Church is glorifying the Lord Jesus, proclaiming his gospel, and seeing a flood of people come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we do not want to be cold to you. We want to love you passionately. Oh, oh Lord, help us not just to be theologically and morally legit and, and not have this deep, burning love and passion for you. Lord, I, I pray for those of us here that know we've got, to, we've got sin to confess. We've got sin to repent of. Lord, I pray that your spirit would so work in our lives that we would do that. We would not put it to one side, but we would confess and repent. For those of us who we we knew, we we used to know a day when we loved you passionately, but that day's gone. We pray that we would talk to some people, we would do whatever we need to do to refire that love for you. And Lord, as we're going to um, elect... Some leaders of the church, Lord, may we elect tender-hearted, kind, gentle, theologically and gospel-driven people who love you, but who, when the time needs to, ha- when the time comes, they will protect the flock here. They will be on guard. They will be warriors for you.